beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you be willing to give up your house and pretty much everything you have for the sake of Jesus Christ? You know, you might be called to do that one day. There are Christians throughout church history who have done it, and that still happens today, too. Now, there's one man who lived during the early church who was exiled five times for the faith. And why was he exiled all of those times? It's because he tenaciously defended the truth we are studying this afternoon, that Jesus Christ is not just a man, but that he is also true God. The man I'm talking about is Athanasius of Alexandria. We have a creed named after him, the Athanasian Creed. He defended the deity of Jesus Christ over and against the heresy of Arianism. Arius was a teacher in the early church who spread false teaching about the Son of God. He said that the Son of God was a created being, was not eternal, and was not true God. That's what Arius taught. At one point, his heresy nearly swallowed the entire church. But thankfully, the Lord used men like Athanasius to turn the tide. And we can be so thankful that the Lord did this. And that's because it's imperative that we get this matter correct. See, Satan wants more than anything to attack this truth of the gospel and to undermine it. And he does this because he wants to steal away worship from God the Son. Satan always wants to rob worship from God and direct it towards himself. But he also does this because he knows the person of Christ is central to our salvation. You see, getting the person of Christ wrong, it's not like getting a wrong answer on a math test. In that case, the mark on your math test is just not as good as it could be. But this is about the very identity of the Savior. This is about eternal salvation in Jesus Christ our Lord. And errors about the person of Christ destroy the gospel and the entirety of the Christian faith. That's why it's so important. That's why men like Athanasius defended it with their lives. And on the flip side, correctly understanding the person of Christ lays the groundwork for our salvation. So that's what we hope to see this afternoon. So I preach you God's word under the following theme and points. Our mediator, Jesus Christ, is true man and true God. And we'll look at two main things. First of all, the wonder of his person, and then the power of his work. Now, our confession of Jesus' person is that he is true God and true man in one person. And this has been taught in the New Testament church since the time of the apostles. Well, that being said, the best way to formulate this astounding truth, it took time to develop uh, in history. And through years of controversy, the church finally created, uh, carefully, uh, they carefully crafted uh, creeds to maintain this truth of the gospel. 
And this continued in the making of the Reformed Confessions. Take only Article 19, which we read together there. The opening line is this, We believe that by this conception in the Virgin Mary, the person of the Son of God is inseparably united and joined with the human nature, so that there are not two sons of God, nor two persons, but two natures united in one single person. Now, the church came to this confession over many years. And it came to this confession, firstly, through the direct teaching of Christ, and then, of course, the apostles. But it was then solidified over the years through a careful study of Scripture. And this careful study of Scripture involved studying what all the Scripture says concerning the Son of God, and then submitting our minds to what it teaches in all of its parts. And when we do that, when the church did that, we cannot but come to this confession that Jesus Christ is true man and true God in one person. You see, the Bible in various ways makes clear that Jesus Christ was a true man. We could list any number of things. Jesus was conceived and born in time. He was descended from men like King David, Abraham, and Adam. He had real flesh and blood and a real human soul or spirit. He suffered. He was tempted. He cried. He became hungry and thirsty. He needed rest and sleep. He learned obedience. He grew in wisdom. For much of his life, he lived like any other normal human being does, or did, going to work every day. The Bible consistently uses language about the Lord Jesus that can be applied to any human on earth. Not only that, but it explicitly states that Jesus was a man. I'll give you two examples. The first is found in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. There we read, There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Another is found in Hebrews 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. For it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So there you go. Christ Jesus was made like us in every respect. He has a real human body. He has a real human spirit. He has the same emotions. He has... The same everything we do except sin, for he is sinless. So that's his human nature. At the same time, the Scriptures are clear that Jesus Christ is more than only a man, but he is at the same time also true God. Consider all the things the Bible says about him. Here are some of them. He existed before his conception. 
In fact, he existed before the very creation of heaven and earth. The Bible calls him far superior to the angels. God even says to the angels, let, or says, let all God's angels worship him. The Son of God has the power of creation and providence. It says all things were created through him, and everything in creation is sustained by the word of his power, the power of the Son of God. He also knew what people were thinking, searching hearts and minds. If that were not enough, consider only some of the things that Jesus Christ himself said. For example, he demanded absolute obedience and loyalty to his person, saying at one point, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. If anyone comes to me and does not hate even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This is the type of devotion owed to God alone. Here Christ demands it of himself. That's because he is true God. Not only that, but he spoke with such authority that with a mere pronouncement, he could effectively make obsolete various Old Testament laws. In Mark 7, he said, after a discussion about clean and unclean foods with the Pharisees, he says, whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. And then the author adds, by saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. You see, the Lord God was the one who made the clean and unclean food laws in the first place. And so no one else has the authority to change them but God alone. And yet here... Christ is pronouncing all foods clean by his authority. And all these things caused one theologian named Herman Bavink, he said this, if any other person spoke of himself in the way Jesus regularly did, if others venerated a person the way prophets and apostles do Christ, then everyone would consider it insane fanaticism or horrendous blasphemy. Right? If somebody in this church would say the things that Jesus did, we would say, you're blaspheming. You can't say those things. You are not God. You're just a man. But Jesus Christ is different. Indeed, he is true man. But he is more than that. He is also true God. And one way this truth really is driven home to us in Scripture is by comparing the identity and work of God as revealed in the Old Testament and comparing that with the identity and work of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And when we compare the two, we see that they are a perfect match. Take this, for example, or these things, for example. In the Old Testament, God is a perfect shepherd of his people. David confesses, the Lord is my shepherd. 
In the New Testament, Jesus Christ presents himself as a perfect shepherd of his people. In the Old Testament, God redeemed his people to make them his own possession. The New Testament states that Christ redeemed his people to make them his own possession. In the Old Testament, God said that he was the husband of his covenant people, and Israel was his bride or his wife. In the New Testament, Christ is the husband of his covenant people, and the church is his bride. The Old Testament declares that all who call on the name of the Lord, Yahweh, will be saved. The New Testament takes this truth and applies it to our Lord Jesus Christ, saying all who call on his name will be saved. In the Old Testament, the Lord declares, I am the first and the last. Christ declares in Revelation 1, I am the first and the last. In the Old Testament, the Lord lived among his people in the tabernacle. The New Testament in John 1 verse 14 says that the the Son of God tabernacled among his people. You see, over and over again, we see Jesus Christ doing what is ascribed to God in the Old Testament. And that's because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the perfect image of God. And we say that not just in terms of how we are in the image of God in true righteousness and holiness, but He is the image of God in His very being, His very nature. That's because Jesus Christ in His nature is God. And so in Him, When we read about him on the pages of the New Testament, we see that God himself, the God who revealed himself in the Old Testament, has come to save his people from their sins. Now, Jesus Christ is true man and true God. Of course, he is united in one single person. Well, because he is true man, he can speak about God like any human does, like we, like we do. Take only what we read from John chapter 20. Maybe you notice there that Jesus said to Mary, he said, I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Notice the comparison. Jesus could speak of God in the same way as Mary and the other disciples could. God was his father, as God is our father. God, the father, was his God, as God is our God. You see, he's true man, and so he speaks the same way about God as we do. And yet, look at what we read just a few verses later in John 20. This is why we read John 20 again. Near the end of this chapter, the Lord Jesus appeared to Thomas, showing him his hands and his side. And finally, he called to Thomas, saying, Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas responded by saying directly to Jesus Christ himself, My Lord and my God. And that is one of the clearest statements of the deity of Christ in all of Scripture. 
Jesus Christ is Thomas's Lord and his God. And notice the specific language Thomas uses. He doesn't just call him God, but my God. And that is covenant language. All throughout Scripture, God's main covenant promise that was that He would be our God and that we would be His people. And that as His people, we may call upon Him as our God. You may call upon Him as my God. And that's what Thomas does here in this text. He applies that covenant language to Jesus Christ, and we can too. He is true God, and so we can speak the same way about Christ as we do about God Himself. We can call Him my Lord and my God. To sum all this up, I can quote theologian Herman Bavinck again, every moment in Scripture, divine as well as human statements are attributed to the same personal subject. Divine and human existence in one person omnipresence and geographical limitation, eternity as the Son of God, and time as a created being, creative omnipotence, working miracles, and creaturely weakness, growing tired and hungry. What else is this but the church's doctrine of the two natures united in one person? That brings us to our second point. Now, because Jesus Christ is true man and true God, this makes him the perfect Savior. You see, sinful humans need a mediator. What is a mediator? A mediator is someone who acts between two parties to bring them together. A mediator serves as a go-between, representing both sides. And having two natures... Christ Jesus is the perfect mediator between God and humans. And this helps us in so many ways. See, the wonderful thing about his person is that he's not only a man, but that he's a perfect man. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he he was conceived and born without original sin. And as he grew up, he never sinned even once. He always kept God's law his entire life through. He fulfilled all righteousness. And he is perfectly righteous and holy in his being. And it's this perfect person, this perfect human, who represents us before God. You see, we all need saving right from the earliest moments, right from birth, even before that, right from our conception. That's because we are conceived and born in sin. We share in Adam's original sin and guilt. And we know it doesn't take long for that sinful condition to show itself in little children. And as we look back on our lives, it doesn't matter how old you are, you are, we will all be able to see sin. No matter how far back we can remember, even to our earliest days, our earliest memories, 
There's sin there. We have all stumbled in many ways in life. We all have sinful baggage that we carry with us throughout our our days. And we all have evil desires and temptations that plague us again and again. And so when we look at ourselves, things would be hopeless in in ourselves. But next to that, we have the perfect conception and birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He had no sinful baggage. He has no sinful desires. And he never stumbled even once from conception to the end of his life. He never sinned. So think about that. You come before God in this person, in Jesus Christ. And Christ is there in heaven, representing you before the Father. Now, isn't that wonderful? Jesus Christ represents you before the Father, stands in your place. What better person to represent you than Jesus Christ himself? He's there at God's right hand on our behalf. As Lord's Day 14 puts it, what... And what benefit do you receive from the holy conception and birth of Christ? He is our mediator, and with his innocence and perfect holiness, he covers in the sight of God my sin in which I was conceived and born. And so we may come before God in and through the perfection of Jesus Christ our Lord. The added benefit to all this is that Jesus Christ not only represents us, but he also sympathizes with us. You know, the Lord Jesus walked on this earth for more than 30 years. And he knows, as a true man, what it's like to suffer in this world. He knows what it's like to be tempted by sin. He knows what it's like to to face attacks and threats. So Jesus Christ knows all of your struggles and all of your fears. And he not only knows all these things, but he has compassion on us. You know, think about yourself when you go through something difficult. You know, when you go through something difficult and then by God's grace and strength you come through it, Having gone through that experience can make you feel compassion to others who go through the same thing later on. The same is true for our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, he's true man. And he surely suffered in life. Hebrews 5 verses 7 and 8 put it like this. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. think, Think upon those words. The Lord Jesus, during his life, offered up prayers to God with loud cries and with tears. At certain points, he prayed with tears streaming down his cheeks because of the suffering and pain he was going through in life. 
Think of that the next time you're in pain. Lord Jesus knows your suffering. And when it says he learned obedience through what he suffered, it doesn't mean that he had sin that he needed cleansing from or that he was disobedient and had to become obedient. No, it means he learned to obey God perfectly by obeying even when it hurt. He learned how difficult it is to obey God when the obedience brings pain. And so he brought obedience to perfection by obeying even though it cost him everything, including going to the cross and suffering the wrath of God for our sins. And having gone through that himself, he sympathizes with our weaknesses. He's not a condescending mediator who proudly looks down on you. He's a merciful and gracious high priest in service to God. And so come to God in Christ. He represents you before the Father. And seek God's grace in Him. So that's how His human nature helps us. But knowing that Jesus Christ is true God likewise helps us when it comes to His work of salvation. It helps us in many ways. It helps us by assuring us that we will be accepted by God in, in Christ. After all, Christ is God's eternal, only begotten Son. And there is no person God the Father loves more than His only beloved Son. He delights in Him. And although God the Father and God the Son are, are different persons, they are one. They are one in essence. They have the same nature. And having the exact same nature, they are united in all things, God the Father and God the Son. There's no tension between them whatsoever. Their justice is the same. Their mercy is the same. Their will is the same. Their plans are the same. And so we never need to fear that Jesus Christ will be rejected by the Father. That can never be. And if we come to God through Christ and in Him, that's how we know we will be accepted by God the Father who loves His Son. And we come to Him in Christ. And knowing that Jesus Christ is true God also helps us as we look forward to eternal life. You know, what is, what is eternal life all about? There are many things. But at the heart of it, it's about fellowship with God. And being in the very presence of God. About enjoying His majesty, His glory, His beauty, and His love. And God has promised to be forever with us. To have fellowship with us. And so we will also get to have unique fellowship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. Right? Sometimes we think of these things only as concepts, as kind of a surreal thing. But these things are, are real, beloved. And one day, you will get to meet Jesus Christ face to face. That will happen. 
you will get to talk to him. You will get to see him with your own eyes. You will get to know him. This is your God in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the one we will have fellowship with throughout all eternity, together with the triune God. Jesus' divine power also ensures that this new creation will happen. He is divine power to preserve us to the end, no matter what Satan might throw at us. He has divine power to recreate the world and make all things new. And he has divine power to work all things for our ultimate salvation. In the words of Philippians 3, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Amen.